0: Today's reading is from Genesis 8-1 and Genesis 9-8-17. So Genesis 8-1. But God remembered Noah and all the wild animals and all the domestic animals that were with him in the ark. And God made a wind blow over the earth and the waters subsided. Genesis 9, 8 through 17. Then God said to Noah and to his sons with them, As for me, I am establishing my covenant with you and your descendants after you, and with every living creature that is with you, the birds, the domestic animals, and every animal of the earth earth with you, as many as came out of the ark. I establish my covenant with you that never again shall all flesh be cut off by the waters of a flood, and never again shall there be a flood to destroy the earth, God said. This is the sign of the covenant that I make between me and you and every living creature that is with you for all future generations. I have set my bow in the clouds, and it shall be a sign of the covenant between me and the earth. When I bring clouds over the earth and the bow is seen in the clouds, I will remember my covenant that is between me and you and every living creature of all flesh. And the water shall never again become a flood to destroy all flesh. When the bow is in the clouds, I will see it. And remember the everlasting covenant between God and every living creature of all flesh that is on the earth. God said to Noah, "This is a sign of the covenant that I have established between me and all flesh that is on the earth." This is the word of God for the people of God.
1: Thanks. Be- Thank you, Ruth, for reading our scripture this morning. And Good morning. My name's Emily. I'm one of the pastors here, and we are kicking off a new sermon series today entitled Childlike Faith. Notice I didn't say childish faith, but childlike faith. We'll be studying some of those big stories in the Hebrew scriptures or the Old Testament that we often tell to children What can we learn about these stories that will be helpful for us today? And what is different in approaching them with faith like a child? What do we mean by childlike faith? It's marked by these incredible characteristics. It is faith that is trusting. Faith that is not afraid to run to God for comfort when life hurts. And it is faith that asks questions, lots of questions, great questions. I read last week that on average a child between the ages of four and six asks between 200 and 400 questions per day, which is no surprise to those of us who have raised them or taught them or live with them today. That's the model of childlike faith. It's curious and open and wants to know more. Some of your favorite childlike adults may come to mind. On the other hand, we have childish faith. What's that? That is faith that has stopped asking questions. Faith that stopped Learning and growing because it's pretty certain it has everything worked out. Faith that says no one can teach me anything because I know it all. It's a tantrum style of faith that demands its way and put fingers in its ears a long time ago and stopped listening and learning. Some of your not-so-favorite adults may come to mind. Childlike faith encompasses the best of childhood. It is bold and it is humble. There's trust, playfulness, wonder, a blundering honesty, eagerness, curiosity, and wanting to continuously learn more and soak it in. Jesus tells us in Matthew 18 and Mark 10 to become like children. And to receive the kingdom of God like a child. So let us take that posture and be childlike. And jump into these stories with both feet and see what we can learn about them. Today we kick off the series with the story of Noah and one very big boat. Would you pray with me? God of grace and God of mercy. You tell us to come to you like a child. We pray that you would help us to do that. Help us to come to you with eagerness and questions and curiosity, ready to learn and keep learning until we're in our 90s and beyond. Lord, help us to always be learning more about you. Open our minds as we step into these stories together. And Lord, may the words of our mouths, the meditations of all of our hearts be acceptable and pleasing in your sight, O Lord. For you are our Savior, our Shepherd, our Redeemer. And it is in your name that we pray as all of God's people say, Amen. So let's get right to it. And jump into this story of Noah and a very big boat and a very big flood. The scripture today was uh, that shared with us that Ruth read for us comes from Genesis chapters 8 and a little bit from chapter 9. But the story actually begins back in chapter 6. And it doesn't start well. Our story begins with God being grieved at how humanity turned out regretting the state of the human condition what we've done with free will the creation stories in Genesis 1 and 2 weren't that long ago it didn't take long for people to mess things up the way the story goes things had gone from being great in this perfect garden to murder in only two generations Chapter six, verse five, uh, makes a pronounced observation. God sees that every inclination of people's hearts was only evil continually. That's a quote. And it grieved God's heart. So God decided to wipe out people and all of creation with a big flood. It is a tragic, horrible start to our story. Sometimes we leave that part out when we tell it to children. You can see why. One of my friends, I'll call Maria, proudly decorated her nursery with images from the story of Noah's Ark. And another friend of ours, I'll call Tanya, was horrified at it and thought it was too tragic a story to put all around the kids. More to come on that conversation later God picks in this story one person and his family to save that person was Noah who was righteous a person who walked in faith with God and God told Noah to build a very large boat known as an ark fill it with his family some food and a sampling of all living creatures from the earth Then God would flood the earth, wipe out everything else, and start over in a tremendous loss of life. It was the end of the world as they knew it. You can see why Tanya was fairly horrified at putting Noah in the nursery. I'm going to pause here for a moment in story, talk about the text and the timing, the background of it. This story is what is known as a composite text, meaning it is pieced together from various ancient sources. Some of uh, portions date back 600 years before Jesus. Some portions date back 900 years before Jesus, and some parts were even earlier than that. You can tell there are different sources when you read through the whole story because the story doesn't always agree with itself. For instance, in chapter 6, Noah is told to bring aboard the ark two of each living thing. And then in chapter 7, he's told to bring aboard the ark seven pairs of each living thing. Regardless, the big point is save a sampling of all the animals. The materials from these different sources were put together at a particular time in history too during the time of the exile in the 500s BCE, when the faith community had been torn from all that was familiar to them, forced to leave their homeland, taken to another culture and language and people, and telling this story at that time would have been a way for them to relate to their known world collapsing and falling apart. Being flooded out, so to speak, and washed away. It was the end of the world as they knew it in the exile. Why tell this story then? Because this story about Noah is ultimately a story of hope. And my friend Maria with the ark in her nursery walls had good reason for putting it there. So back to the story. What do we know about Noah? Not much. We don't know much of anything except that he did what God told him to do. He built the boat, put his family in it, put animals in it, and in the story then God closed them inside. The rain started, the waters rose, the flood began, and all that was not in the boat died. It is, like Tanya said, a horrible catastrophe. And that flood lasted a long time. There are no details in the story about what that was like or the difficulties of it. But then starting with chapter 8 verse 9, there comes a dramatic turning point in that tragedy. God remembers, scripture says, Noah and all the animals in the ark and makes the wind blow and the waters subside. Now hear that moment through the lens of the exile when their world was in chaos to know that in the middle of the worst of it all, when water is all that you can see, God remembers you and brings you out of it and makes the wind blow and the waters subside and starts something new. That's powerful. It's a beautiful connection to the 5th century BCE. It's a beautiful connection to us now in our lives. And a start to what my friend Maria was doing with her nursery walls. Noah then, in the story, uses an ancient mariner's technique uh, to find land. Sending out ravens and doves. The idea was that the birds would not return if they had found a place to land the dove eventually brings back an olive leaf to Noah, indicating that there was life beyond all that was not life and all the water that he could see. It's an important thing to bring back. An olive leaf was, at the time, an ancient symbol of peace and abundant life. And the next time Noah sends the dove out, the dove does not return. That dove has started to build a new life after the flood. And God then tells Noah to exit the ark and do the same thing. And God blesses Noah and his family and says, be fruitful and multiply and start living again. Things will be better and different, except that they're not. (laughs) Noah, not long after that, later in chapter 9, starts a garden, puts in a vineyard, makes some wine, gets drunk, His sons find him, there's some euphemistic language there about something untoward that happens, and then we're off and running again. (laughs) Not much changes. But before that story, right? Chapter 9, the other part that Ruth read for us today, something incredible happens that God does. And God establishes a beautiful, everlasting covenant not only with Noah, but with all life, that never will God destroy the earth. God promises this to the animals, to every living creature, to the current generations and all future generations of all life. It is known as a universal covenant Not limited to any one person or any one community or faith tradition or generation. Many times in scripture, God establishes a covenant with a single person or faith community. Think Abraham, David, Moses, the Israelites. But not this time. In this story, the covenant is one that God makes to all of humanity and all of creation. All of it. What's our part of the agreement? <laughs> this one has no conditions on us. It is not an if-then type of covenant. It does not ask anything of us in return. God initiates the covenant. God keeps the covenant. It is a gift to be received. And God notes in this second covenant that not much has fundamentally changed the waters dry up the do-over starts with imperfect people again it's all God has to work with remember free will is still free will God leaves us the freedom of choice Sometimes we choose well, sometimes we don't, and sometimes it's complicated. God says in chapter 8, 21, the inclination of the human heart is evil from youth, and I will not destroy every living creature again. Life and seasons will go on. Did you catch that's the same thing that God said before the story started in chapter 6 what shifted the reason for the flood is now the reason for the covenant did you catch that the reason for the flood is now the reason for the covenant humanity has not changed What changed, one author writes, is the way God chooses to relate to humanity. Many scholars see this story as a powerful early statement of grace. This covenant, this statement says that God is realistic about who we are and will not give up on us. Not ever. God is committed to us and to creation regardless. And God marks it with rainbow. God says the rainbow will be a reminder of that universal covenant. And when God sees the rainbow, God will remember. When we see the rainbow, we will remember too. So let's park under that rainbow for a minute. A bow was an ancient symbol of war. In that early culture, gods were thought to have bows and lightning bolts were thought to be arrows aimed at the earth for punishment. A rainbow is symbolically an upside down bow pointed away from the earth. It is the shape of a bow at rest, a symbol of peace. God is essentially hanging up or forever retiring the bow. The rainbow, then, is this divine reminder of the preservation of life, the sign of the covenant. And it's not that God forgets in between rainbows. Somebody asked me that one time. (laughs) That's not true. God's promise is steady, and God is good on God's promises always, whether the rainbows and the clouds, or it's weeks before you see the next one. What do we do with a story like this? Would you, like Maria, want to put it up in the nursery? Would you, like Tanya, want to take it down? As with most of these big stories in the sermon series, it is a mixed bag. There are likely parts about it we love. Likely parts about it we want to skip. If we hear the story of Noah in a childlike way, what do we do with it? We ask hundreds of questions. And that's a gift. Sometimes, though, you know, the questions can take you down rabbit holes that aren't helpful. And we can get so sidetracked in all the questions and details that we miss the bigger points of the story. Some questions are more helpful than others. So what questions are most helpful in asking what is deeply true when it comes to these big stories of faith? Well, here are some. What is being communicated by telling the story this way? What do we learn about God? What do we learn about ourselves? What do we learn about the relationship between God and ourselves? These are some of the questions we ask in Disciple Bible Study, if you've been part of that. So here are a few of the big picture things we learn from this story. In the universal covenant that God makes, we learn that God takes the initiative toward us. God seeks relationship with us as we are. And God is realistic about the human condition. When we get to the New Testament, we learn that's why Jesus came. Because God does not give up on us. Not then, not now, and not ever. Jesus shows us God's true heart. That God, like a parent, may be grieved over some of the choices we make. That God, like a parent, may be grieved over sin and continues to love us knowing we may not change. It's not that God is resigned to the sinfulness of humanity. Again, that's what Jesus comes to address in due time. God still calls us to salvation and wholeness. But we know in this story, God's love and care cannot be shattered by what we do the new testament will tell us that too romans will tell us that too but the message of grace started centuries before this is the story of a persistent i promise to never give up on you god a god who is faithful whether we are or not this covenant-making, covenant-keeping God will stick with us and with creation voluntarily, by choice, out of love. And that is good news. We also learn that natural disasters are not the result of divine punishment. Sometimes we forget that. Others will try to make a pronouncement that a flood or a hurricane or such is God's punishment on people because of some sin they picked out. Well, no, frankly, that is not necessarily true. This story tells us that. So we can decouple the idea that a natural disaster is divine punishment destruction might still happen but it is not based in God's anger retribution or rejection remember God hung up the bow it's pointed away from the earth God made that promise to us a long long time ago and we can be assured it is not divine punishment when the flood comes so back to that conversation Back to the walls of my friend's nursery. Her children wake up every day to pictures of a big boat and animals inside and animals stepping out into a fresh start and a dove carrying an olive leaf in its beak. Rainbows all over the clouds. I get why Tanya would not put that up in her home. And At the same time, I love what Maria says is so true about it to her. And I want to tell you what she said. She says, I don't know what will happen as my children grow up. And I can't control much of it. The floods of life will come and go. God remembers and knows us and sees us. And God is bigger than the chaos. Bigger than any flood. And God made a covenant in this story that God will not give up on us or on creation and that will not change regardless of what we do. God chooses us chooses to love us and that's what I want my children to know that's the story I want them to wake up to every morning that God remembers and chooses them out of love it's a story of hope turns out to be what the exiles needed to hear too amid all they had lost this is a story they could tell. This is a story to which they could wake up every morning. Maybe it's a story to which we need to wake up every morning too. And we could put a little of Noah and rainbows on our walls and in our hearts to remember that God is for you, chooses you, and nothing can change that. God promised. Amen. And amen.